This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. What do you need to know to invest in the stock market? How does an investor pick their stocks? Are stocks that pay dividends better than those that don't? We hope to answer those questions and your stock questions and personal finance questions this morning. So give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 Or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I hope everybody got there. Taxes. Uh, I've got tax hangover right now. I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, Ryder, you've got some information, but I th- thought there was a fun story on All Things Considered yesterday oh, afternoon. A fun story about taxes. Please tell us, oh, Kevin. It was uh, <laughs> by the way, All Things Considered, a four to uh, six every weekday afternoon on MPB Think Radio. But it was a flashback to 20 years ago when it was a big festive time at the post office. For all the people rushing oh, yeah. in at the last minute to file their taxes, bands playing, people cheering mm-hmm. them on, and that sort of thing. Uh, so it wow. was, uh, it was like I said, it was a little fun little story about how. And now we just upload them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's not uh, not a community thing anymore. It's just and you, cry. you and we uh, cry the software. A lot. <clears throat> but they did say that the uh, I think uh, in Columbia University there was a band that for X number of years has played at the at the local post office, and they said that you know not as many people, but they're they're still doing it this year. So. That's that is fun. All right, so Ryder, you've got some uh, some figures there with an IRS uh, letterhead. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Tell so, us what you got. Uh, so we've kind of tracked these throughout tax filing season. You know what what's the story behind tax refunds? And, and I remember when we first got started, I had the tax uh, for the for the first couple of weeks. Um, refunds were way down. You know, people were saying, "Oh, we're getting way less back." There were, but the but the issue was that. We had two things going on. One, big change in the tax law. So so people were slower to get things done. And two, there was a government shutdown. So even if, you know, IRS was back to staff, I mean, they had a, you know, surely there were a couple of things that, you know, they they were a little backed up on. So, you know, you saw numbers like the average refund uh, or the total refund amount being down something like 30% in the first couple of weeks. And people, oh, no, this is, you know, this is not going to look good. Uh, we weren't we weren't too psyched about that. Um, but then I pulled up the stats for uh, for the week ending March 1st. So, you know, that had been refunds been going from for about a month and a half. I mean, it was almost back to normal. The average refund uh, was down. Uh, the average the average refund actually by March first was up you know point seven percent and uh, filing was down about three percent so most people were kind of up to speed at this point and uh, the latest numbers we have are for the week ending April fifth and uh, by and large everything is pretty normal um, you know the the number of returns they've received is ever so slightly less than last year 
and the amount of money, you know, it's it's down 0.3 percent, and the am- total amount of money uh, dispersed is only about two and a half percent less than last year. So, you know, again, like we said, withholding was a little bit more accurate, so people might be getting a little bit less from that. Um, but it looks like a pretty normal tax season, you know, kind of at the end of it. It's taken a little longer. Um, but there was a lot of new stuff uh, going on, but it looks pretty normal. All right. Uh, any other financial news to uh, talk about? All I know was yesterday was tax day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I told you, tax hangover here. So uh, at least we're done with taxes. Don't have to worry about it maybe till the end of the year. Is that when um, you start unless you about did an extension, again? because a lot of people do. So there yeah. are a couple of other deadlines in the year, with the middle of October being the final deadline when you must get 2018's taxes done. All right. Uh, we're talking about stocks in the stock market today, but we always take your personal finance questions as well. If you'd like to join in with a phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So um, how important are earnings of a company when you're deciding about whether to invest in Oh, it's everything. Well, we are starting off strong. <laughs> starting off strong well, here. Well, you know, if you want to be an owner of a company, it's all about are you going to earn money out of that? Right. And of do course, you, Do you want to own a company that is making money or is not making exactly. money? I mean, that's a... You know, it's a fair question to ask at the beginning of your analysis. And, and of course, we measure that typically by uh, earnings as in the net income. What are your sales, your revenue versus what are your expenses to run that business? And um, that's what we look at. So we pay a lot of attention to earnings and not just what happened last year, but over a period of years, what is that company earned and what are we expecting them to earn the future? Because you're buying future earnings mm-hmm. when you buy a share of stock. And I would say that's a very good point about you're buying the future earnings because it's really easy just to look at, you know, kind of a large mature company that's been around and earns money and pays dividends and things like that. That that's a fairly easy case to look at and explain, well, this is why it looks like that. Um but you also have a lot of weird cases on the edge that people want to know about. Things like um, you know, Lyft recently IPO. They are losing a ton of money. Um, a lot of these large, uh, large newer companies like Lyft um, uh, and Uber and uh, WeWork, you know, they don't make a ton of money because they're growing so rapidly is part of the reason. Um, Tesla does not have huge amounts of earnings, if any, in many quarters. Um, Amazon often does not show earnings. um, Which is why they don't pay taxes. Which is why they don't pay taxes. Ooh, taxes. Back to taxes. Back to the cut. Um, But again, people are looking at these companies and saying, you know, they may not be earning now, but their their market is so big and their potential in the future to make money, you know, all it would take for Amazon to make a ton of money is, you know, tack on a a penny to every transaction. Like, just raise everyone's price by a penny, and they will just make so much money. But Um, the future is 
anybody's guess, right? Right. So when we so look at that, we're, we're not sure. Exactly. We are anticipating that. And, and with a company like Tesla, we are anticipating that they, you know, move to a that profitable Elon state. Elon Musk is suddenly going yeah. to come to his senses and behave. <laughs> I don't know that people, there, I, I, I don't think people <laughs> want him to behave. I think they just want him to, to crank out money, um, you know, because people believe that the future is this company is going to be in a large profitable market. And, and, and so that's an important point about expected future earnings. All right. We have a couple of callers on the line. So let's uh, begin by talking to John from Mobile. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Yes, thank you. I hope everybody's had their morning coffee. Uh, <laughs> question, question for you. Uh, let me tell you who I am and you, and then the question. I'm retired. I have uh, some excess monies. I've never really messed with the stock market at all. So I went out and found a friend of a friend who is a broker, um, and they've recommended mutual funds and this, that, and the other. I've also heard of, of a financial service called the Motley Fool. Is this something worth my while as far as trying to better educate myself on stocks that I might want to um, invest in? That's the question. Motley Fool. Well, I, I do. Yeah, I do know Motley Fool, and uh, I read a lot of their uh, information, and some of it is quite good. Some of it I'm not too thrilled about. Um, and often you see teases from the Motley Fool. We'll tell you about this one stock that you need to own, and it's going to be yeah. great, but they're trying to get you to subscribe. So be careful about that. Um, I would say there are other ways to educate yourself about investing and in the stock market. Go to the library. Pick up some good books um, and uh, just learn about those things. You talked about mutual funds. You need to understand what a mutual fund is. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Bogle on Mutual Funds. It's an old book, uh, but you can find it out there. And learn about a mutual fund. Learn about an exchange-traded fund. And start getting educated. If you're retired, you have the time to do that. Um, and I think the other thing you need to ask yourself is, you know, if you've gone this long without being exposed to the stock market, if you have really good secure income, maybe you have pension, Social Security that covers all of your needs, maybe this is something you don't want to do. So you just really need to sit down with somebody and look at your overall picture. Yes. I have basically monies coming in from pension and from Social Security. Mm -hmm. And I, I found myself with monies in checking accounts that basically is non-bearing mm -hmm. accounts just sitting there. And so I, I really don't need it, and so I figured to invest it. Well, what that means is you're bringing in more in retirement than you are using. Right. And this that's happens a, a lot. That's a great problem to <laughs> great have. Great problem to have. Um, so really, you just need to make sure that that money is earning a reasonable amount within what risk you think you can take on. And you do need to think about, even though your earnings are sufficient, you need to think about, well, what happens down the road if I have some really big medical needs? Do I have enough to cover that? So I think probably sitting down with a financial advisor and just looking at your whole picture. All right, John, we appreciate your call. <clears throat> you know, you've mentioned that book before, and I believe it's Vogel, V-O-G-L-E. No, B. Bogle. Bogle. B-O-G-L-E. L-E. B-O-G-L-E. Bogle on mutual funds. Uh, Mr. Bogle recently passed away. 
Um, he was uh, started the Vanguard Group and is the father of the Index Mutual Fund. All right. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue talking about stocks and the stock market today. Also, Karen's on the line with a question from Picayune. Karen, we'll get to your question after this break, and we'll get to your question if you're listening this morning, too, if you have one. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 What do Pinterest, Uber, and Levi Strauss have in common? We'll tell you when we get back after this break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks. If you ever miss part of the show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash money talks to listen again. You can also download the MPB public media app, and then you'll be able to listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all of the Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're talking about choosing stocks to invest in today, so it's like Stocks 101 this morning. We do have a caller. Oh, by the way, uh, social media and web page Pinterest, ride-sharing company Uber, and denim maker Levi Strauss are some of the newest companies to go public and offer share of stocks for sale to the public. Their symbols are P-I-N-S, U-B-E-R, and L-E-V-I. And one caution about an initial public offering, an IPO, that's the first time a company offers its shares to the public, is that what we know for most companies, a year later they are trading at less than their IPO price. And any time a company wants to go public, my question is, well, why? Why do you want to give up ownership of your company? There has to be a good reason, meaning they need it in order to raise the money or the capital to continue to grow. Uh, we had a caller on the line who dropped off, but I believe it was a, a tax-related question. And, Ryder, I thought you were doing a little bit of research during the break. <clears throat> yes. So uh, it looked like the call was about the mileage reimbursal and deduction on your taxes. So it used to be that um, it was called unreimbursed business expenses. Essentially, if an employee encountered business expenses, say they had to drive a personal vehicle, uh, it was required for work purposes, um, they could either the business w- or they had to purchase things for, for the company for, required for work, uh, the business often would reimburse them. But if they did not get reimbursed, they could write it off on their taxes. So it's kind of like, you know, the second best deal. Uh, now, unreimbursed business expenses are no longer deductible on your taxes. And that started with the new tax law. So 2018, if you've been deducting mileage or something like that for work, uh, 2018, this past tax season was the first year you did not. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Talk to your employer because they can still talk, write it off as a business expense. Uh, talk to your employer and also talk to your Congress people. All right. Uh, we're talking stocks in the stock market this morning. If you have a question, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 
672-7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So, Nancy, earlier you mentioned uh, the idea of looking at uh, earnings of a company over not just one year, but over several uh, times, uh, several years. Right. We call um, that trend analysis. Okay. So that's to get a better gauge, I guess, of the stability of a company stock and, and how important is that? Yeah, um, because you're looking at not only, yes, you're buying future earnings, but if you're buying an established company, you want to make sure that they are run well, they're managed well, um, they have a history of producing rising sales, rising revenue, and rising earnings, and maybe you also are looking at their dividends, and those dividends are paid out of earnings, so you hopefully will see a rise in those dividends. And so the history of the company is important. Um, so we mentioned uh, the three new, newer uh, companies publicly trading, Pinterest, uh, Uber, and Levi Strauss. Those are all in an industry. Uh, do you look to invest in an industry leader as an upcoming uh, company, or is, is it maybe diverse? Uh, there are uh, a billion different approaches to to how you select. Um, you know, some some folks maybe you're just really interested in a specific industry. If it, so, but we're talking about stock pickers here today. Um, so maybe you're just interested in a specific industry. Maybe you have specialized knowledge of an industry. You know, maybe you you work in manufacturing, and so you you understand a lot of what other manufacturers are doing. What makes a manufacturer successful? What sort of products are in demand, and what sort of companies are doing well? Maybe you just want to focus on those and every industry importantly has kind of special quirks um you know they have their customers are all different you know their balance sheets look different they they sell things and they buy things in different ways uh so industry specialization is you know a useful thing if you are if you are picking individual stocks there um but there's kind of a couple of approaches you know some people want to focus on those the the biggest companies the leading companies the companies that have been growing strongly and they predict will be growing strongly in the future um, one issue with those companies is they're often more highly priced uh, because, again, you know, if it's if it's a company that's been growing very rapidly and is expected to keep growing rapidly, it'll probably be priced to reflect that. However, there are also companies that maybe maybe they've been beat down. Uh, maybe they used to be great, but you know, people are really negative on their future. Um, even if even it's and so people might approach that and say, Oh, that's a company, you know, it's not going to disappear. I think they're going to either come back or they're just going to continue to generate decent enough earnings that I'm going to be compensated for buying that stock. And that would generally be called a, like a value investor. Um, and of course there are companies that run the range in between there. Uh, so your approach again, you, your approach can be industry specific. Your approach can be, um, kind of a, a description of the company specific. There, there are a million different approaches. Um, but I would say yes to all of those questions, Kevin. This is Money Talks. We're talking about stocks and investing in the stock market this morning. If you have a question or a personal finance question you'd like answered, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Um, so, we, again, we talked about these new companies, and, and uh, Nancy, you mentioned the, the IPO. Um, and I hope some of my questions aren't too dumb sounding, but who, who determines how much a stock is worth on those IPOs? <laughs> you have an underwriter. <laughs> and so um, there's a very small group 
of uh, institutions who do underwriting, and it is their job to price that stock. And um, what we know, which is why IPOs tend to get so much buzz, is they tend to just slightly underprice it because they want to sell more shares. They want to make it attractive. Um, But they don't want to underprice it too much or they won't be able to generate enough money You're for the owners. Leaving money on the table, You Nancy. don't want to leave money on the table. So it's a little tricky, and but they, they, they tend to do just a little bit under what the true value is. Um, so it's their job to look at the history of the company, like we talked about before, to look at the financial statements, to look at the projections on the finances, and determine what the price per share would be. Now, all of that comes back to remember the market is supply and demand it is just basically an auction out there and um so if it's a hot market then um you're going to see a little bit higher prices because they know people are anxious to buy those shares and if we see market pullbacks even though they're already to introduce uh, new shares on a company and suddenly the market pulls back they will shelve that registration they will wait until the pricing could be better all right so then once a stock or a company is issued stock and it goes up again is that just there are people willing to pay more for it yes yes Mm -hmm. Um, most of the increase on an ipo happens in the first couple of hours of trading all right um, what about uh, this term, debt-to-equity ratio? What is that, and, and how does it factor in when you're talking about stocks? Okay, so there's uh, three things going on here, even though uh, there are only two said. Debt, equity, and assets. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and, and just to be a little bit confusing, uh, we generally call stocks equity. Um, but this is a little bit different from what we're talking about here, equity as an accounting term. So companies can have assets and they can have debt, just like a regular human being. You have an asset, your house, you have debt, a mortgage on it. And that gap in between the debt that you owe and the asset that you own is your equity. Uh, so say you've been living in your house a little while, it's worth $100,000, you got $50,000 mortgage on it, you also have $50,000, you have $100,000 asset, $50,000 debt, and also $50,000 equity. Um, so when we're talking about debt to equity, it's that ratio of you know how much debt do you have to you know assets left over after after you kind of feel like cross out that debt if from just an accounting standpoint um because again you know companies they operate all in different ways and some you know their assets are just you know their brands and their intellectual property and kind of weird and hard to value things you know you know that disney might value some brand at a billion dollars and like what does that mean well they think they can get a billion dollars from it in the future um and you know you can take a loan out against that sort of stuff but again you know that's weird that the debt is a real thing it's a hard thing it's 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 there and somebody's got a bill for it um assets can be all manner of things, and equity is just what's left over after those two. All right, so when we talk about that, and then we've talked about uh, the earnings and those sorts of things, so you're trying to do some research and, and decide which stocks to buy. Where do you go to get the information about the financial health of said company? 
Well, so much of it is available online. You know, back in the day, we used to get on the phone and call investor relations and uh, ask the packet, send us a package, the annual report, the 10K and the proxy and uh, wait for weeks for it to show up in the mail. Now you can go online and find this information. You can go to a company website. You can look at their filed financials and dig through that. Now, the problem is that most people don't really understand financial statements. And um, and that's what we teach in classes about uh, looking at the accounting um, and understanding what you're looking at because accounting is the language of business. And it tells you something about the health of the company. It tells you the story of the business. Um, so this kind of there is a centralized place where all the companies there – you're referring to all of the documents that they're kind of legally required to file, you know, quarterly reports, annual reports, et cetera. Um, and those are all done through the SEC, through their reporting uh database channel is called Edgar. But it's pretty cumbersome to get through that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, and, and Edgar is what, that's that's the centralized database for it. So, you know, if you if you have a hard time finding it on the company's website, you might be able to find it. You should be able to find it on Edgar. Um, and, and so there is centralized way of doing it and everyone does have, they have requirements to publish those things. And any company that offers its share on the public marketplace is under a set of regulations to present financial statements that are truly representative of the health of the business. If they do anything that's questionable, yeah. shareholders can sue them. Yeah, there's a lot of standards in how they prepare those reports and a lot of standards in what numbers go in those reports and, and a lot of discussion around those. They can be hundreds of pages long. It's great. It's exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, but part of your expertise and services as financial advisors is to be able to wade through these reports and help someone who comes to you try to decide which stocks to uh, invest in. Right. And the other thing is we have to tell people and caution them, um, you know, a lot of individual investors investors um, find that it's just too cumbersome to try to just pick individual stocks. And so often the best choice is to look at a collection, a pooled fund. That's where mutual funds and exchange traded funds come into play. All right. We need to take another quick break. Uh, You are listening to Money Talks, and we're talking about stocks and the stock market this morning. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a question or a personal finance question that you'd like answered, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. What's the most expensive stock of all time? We've mentioned it before the show, and uh, Ryder and Nancy would each like a share if you're feeling generous. We'll tell you about that stock when we get back. You're listening to MPB Think Radio's Money Talks. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. 
By the way, Ryder, tell us a little bit about what that means. Uh, the certificate investment performance measurement is <clears throat> okay. So just to back up a little bit, the CFA charter is kind of an, an intensive covers all areas of uh, kind of investment finance. So, uh, you know, how to, how to understand companies, how to understand how portfolios work together, how to understand all the different investment products out there. And also a huge, huge, huge portion on uh, ethics and professionalism. Uh, and so the CFA Institute, that's their main thing and main credential. Uh, but the Certificate and Investment Performance Measurement is a very specific slice, which is uh, two tests over a year or two of studying that uh, focuses on how to measure investment performance because it is a surprisingly large and complex field. Um, and, and, and it's important that people have standard ways of comparing investments. Uh, you know, we often look, okay, say you put $100 into something, you get $10 back. Okay. How do we talk about that? Do we say, okay, I earned $10 on my investment. Okay. That's one way to talk about it. But you know, how big was the initial investment? Okay. Well, it was a 10% return. Okay. Now that's interesting. How long did it take you to earn that 10% return? Well, it took me two years. Okay, so that's 5% every year. Um, did you put all of the money in at once? Uh, was the money all invested? Where did that where did those gro- where did that growth come from? Where did those gains come from? You know, was it did they put $99 into something that didn't move and $1 into something that turned into 11? Is that where your $10 came from? So it's a very 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 deep dive into understanding what performance is, where it comes from, how we measure it, and how we talk about it. I mean, it's, it's, um, and you won't understand how big the field is until you do the CIPM. <laughs> all right. The, the most expensive publicly traded stock of all time is Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, which is trading currently at $314,500. Price is what you pay, exactly. and value is what you get. This is interesting. The, the, uh, um, abbreviation or whatever is brk dot a because there are a shares and then uh-huh. there are b shares and b shares we call them the baby berkshires and the reason for that is uh, mr buffett has long resisted um the urge to uh split his stock and um so his answer to people who were saying but i want to to be a an owner of berkshire i can't afford an a share was to offer the b shares do we know the approximate price of the B share? Oh, what is the B share now? Uh, not off the top of my head. I, don't I mean, is it anywhere near 314000 No, no, no. Okay. No, it's, I mean, it'd be more like $314. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, and there's a couple of companies that have A and B shares. Sometimes they have different rights. Maybe one person gets one vote at the annual meeting and the other person gets none or the other person gets 10 or whatever. There's a couple of them. Um, they're not super common. Um, amongst you know new startups coming to market, they they try to be they're trying to do this uh, because they can it allows them to retain if you know if they have one share that has all the votes that founder can still exercise control over the company even if they don't have to have that huge investment. So the A stockholders get the fancy pastry, the B stockholders get donuts. <laughs> Got it. Well, they all can go to yeah. the annual meeting, <laughs> yeah. which is a big deal in Nebraska. All right, we've got a caller on the line, so let's invite uh, Steve calling in from uh, Bay St. Louis this morning. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm kind of looking for index funds, and how would you rate an index fund? And just as important, 
looking for the load. Okay. No, you want to buy one without a load, and a load is a sales commission. Why do you want to pay a load? <laughs> I don't think well, he wants to. I think he wants to find it so he can avoid it, right, Steve? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so um, an, an index fund is simply a fund, a collection of securities that is mimicking some index. So we first need to know which index do you want to follow, Steve? Well, that's what I'm trying to find. Where uh, online do you go for a list? Well, actually, I, from there. you can you can follow uh, you can choose one that follows the Dow Jones, but that's only thirty stocks. I wouldn't recommend that. Terrible idea. Um, a lot of them follow the S and P five hundred. So you have actually five hundred and one, I believe, is the current number of stocks. You can follow uh, ones that represent a broader view of the market, the Russell 2000. Uh, You can follow indexes that represent overseas markets. So it depends on which index you want to track. And um, one of the most popular ones is going to be the S&P 500. And the main thing you want to look at is how much does it cost for me to participate in this index? Because if they're all following the same index, they all have the same stocks. Mm -hmm. So you just want to pay the least amount for them. I I will say, see, um, how are you going about buying these? Do you have a brokerage account? Uh, online, Ameritrade. Ameritrade. Okay, so one thing that a lot of – all the larger um, uh, brokerages do this. I know Charles Schwab is very good about this. Ameritrade is. Fidelity. Um, they have a list of exchange-traded funds, uh, which are all index funds of some sort, which are free for you to trade. Um, and so that's not a bad place to start because it's it, it's – that saves you money every time you put money in and purchase more shares and focus on uh, focus on the ones which are just the larger, more well-known indexes, the larger, more diversified indexes. Of course, you can get ones that are super specific, like, you know, a cloud computing index, you know, that's going to track any company that has things to do with cloud computing. But uh, the broader indexes are probably what you're looking for. Those are probably a good place to start. You know, say one that just tracks the top five. 500 or the top thousand companies or even just the bottom 2000, you know, if you want small companies. Um, so look to build a diversified portfolio and you don't need a whole lot of overlap there. Um, and just the, the, the simpler and more well-known the index is, is better um, in that case. And, and Nancy, like you said, the fee is so important because, you know, you can see there are index funds that track, you know, they all track the same S&P 500. You can buy an index fund that, that'll do it for like two basis points. That's 0.02% expense. And there are insane ones out there that charge half a percent. There's no reason to char- to to have someone charge you half a percent if you can go, you know, if if you can go get it for two cents, why would you pay fifty somewhere else? And that's called the expense ratio, mm-hmm. and it is within the fund, whether it's a mutual fund or something called we uh, an exchange traded fund that is like a mutual fund but trades a little bit differently. And um, you can go to Morningstar.com and look up information. If you're dealing with a broker, they probably offer information to you. You can go to the company website. So if you want to look at Vanguard's mutual funds, go to Vanguard.com and look up that information and the expense ratio and what they're investing in. That's what you need. The other question I have is that you had said earlier about classes that would guide you through the – the terminology and what to look for, uh, because sometimes they obfuscate uh, some of their 
their uh, their their terminology when looking at a, a piece of paper. Right. Uh, is there where would you find classes on? That? Well, I I think I think just picking up a book. And we mentioned Bogle on mutual funds. Um, I have a book in my office. I can't remember the title of it, but it's only about exchange-traded funds. And I think you just need to start with what these things are. If you're uh, an investor who wants to look at what we call pooled funds, which represent collections of securities, you need to understand what they are and be able to read the information from them. So reading that means you got to look at, well, what's in the portfolio? Um, are those the stocks that I want to own? Um, if it's an index fund, how closely have they tracked the index? How, how well have they done their job there of changing out when the index changes? And how much does it cost? And how much am I going to initially have to put in? Are there some constraints on, oh, I can only can start this if I have $10,000 versus one that I can put in only $100? Um, I will say a good uh, kind of resource here. Every every, every ETF provider, ma- major ones, will have information on what is an ETF, how how do they work, how do I understand them, how do I pick a good one. They will have some actually pretty good resources on that. Um, of course, so and and so you can kind of find you know look at iShares. That's a BlackRock company. Vanguard, State Street, Wisdom Tree. So they will all have pretty good resources. Now, bear in mind the resources the resources you read on those individual sites will be kind of leaning towards their individual products. Um, But then a good independent source for that news, once you kind of understand what's going on, you understand the products, uh, then a good independent source is Morningstar. Uh, They do mutual fund ratings, and they also have a ton of stuff about ETFs. They have articles to help you understand things. They have explainers. They have great information and analysis on individual funds. And that's kind of an independent source. So once you once you understand the products and know what you're working with, you know, look at an independent source to say, well, who really is better, or does it matter that much? Um, I will say um, I do love Morningstar. They also do analysis of individual stocks. I don't think they're very good at that, but they're really good. Yeah, it's at not any, their thing. Yeah, at the pooled funds, so mutual funds, exchange traded funds. All right, Steve, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. And a quick, simple question follow-up again. So an index fund, you say it tracks the the S&P 500. No, it tracks an index. Okay. So it depends on which index. So and, in, and a common one would be the S&P 500. Instead of a manager sitting there, you know, with a vast, vast resor- uh, research team, you know, finding and picking what they think are the best stocks, it's just someone who is like, look, here's, here's a list. Let's just buy these, and every now and then we'll, you know, maybe next year we'll meet up and say, should we change the list? So in other words, though, when you put money in, you're buying a piece of 500 different companies? Yes, absolutely. You own a share of all of those. You can can click one button and buy all of the companies out there. It's so easy. great about that for individual investors, it's not like you're putting all your money on one company that may have a problem overnight. And so you see a big loss, and it's spread over all of those. It's what we call passive investing, and active investing is what Ryder talked about, where you've got um, a manager doing stock picking. Okay, we need to take one final break. When we get back, we've got calls from Daryl, Graham, and John to get to. If you folks would hold on, we'll get to your questions after this break. Here's another question for you. What was the first company to be publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange? They still have shares traded today. We'll tell you that when we get back to wrap up Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're going to finish up our discussion on stocks today uh, with a couple of phone calls. To answer our last question, the Bank of New York was founded in 1784 by Alexander, Ham- Alexander Hamilton, and it was the first company to be publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange in 2007. The bank merged with Mellon Financial to become Bank of New York Mellon. And it's uh, BK is their stock uh, symbol. And we all know Alexander Hamilton from his uh, smash hit musical. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Alex. (laughs) All right. Back to the phones we go. We begin again with uh, Daryl in Memphis. Daryl, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hello, my uh, uh, morning uh, financial family. (laughs) Good morning. Good good morning, Daryl. Y'all, listen, uh, I just wanted to comment on uh, the price of Berkshire Hathaway B shares. That's currently trading at less than $220 per share. Okay. Uh, the, last time I, the last time I checked, it was about 207 It might be $210 per share now, but that's what it's trading at now. And I want to ask one more question before I leave the phone. Um, why is it that investors... Well, individual investors cannot see the profit and loss statement of a of a business. Thank you. I take my of a what of a business. Yeah. Uh, so. We, we, you can see profit and loss uh, statements. They publish them. They are required to publish them every three months. Uh, the ones they publish every three months, I believe, are not audited. The ones they publish every once a year are audited. Now, if it's a private company, they are not required to make those public to anybody who asks for it. You know, Bank Plus is a private bank here in Mississippi. Um, Their owners get to see that, but they're not public. But any company that offers their shares to the public must make those statements fully public. All right, Daryl, thanks for your call and the kind words about the program. Uh, Let's move on next. Uh, John has called in from South Haven, I believe. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Thank you, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, My question is about a mutual fund that I have, and they had a uh, capital gains payout. It's taxable income, right? Right. And then does it go against my basis? Uh, it adds to your basis if you reinvest those shares. They do. That yeah. money, yeah. Okay. And then the other question is, it was almost 10% of the money that I, you know, the value mm-hmm. of the my shares in the, the company. Right. Yep. And I'm wondering, it came so late in the year, I didn't have time to sell a loser. Well, you know well, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Here's the problem with mutual funds. You're talking about what we call an open-end mutual fund. And by law, they have to distribute all of their dividends and capital gains that happened during the year by 1231. So, yes, most of them wait till at the end of the year, sometimes the 31st of December, when they um, release all of that and pay them back to the shareholders. Um, and that often means you end up with a surprise. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, I will say a lot of mutual fund companies will publish estimates of what they think they will distribute. Mm-hmm. 
um, maybe a month or two ahead of time. I know some companies are better than others. So if it is, you know, if, if you have a lot of mutual funds uh, and knowing that that can happen, that might be uh, that might be something you want to put on your calendar uh, to, to, to check with all of them about what they anticipate distributing. And it's one of the advantages of using exchange traded funds because they are funds, but they are not under that same guideline and they have other ways of dealing with distributions of capital gains and dividends. So they're more tax efficient. Okay. I'm just glad to know that it goes against my basis. That you know, now I don't feel so bad. Well you just need to track that and that yeah. means if you own a mutual fund you better keep uh, all of those statements for when you get ready to sell them. All the way back to nineteen ninety seven. Wow. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks, John, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. You know, one of the questions that we asked at the top of the show was the idea of uh, paying dividends and our stocks that pay dividends better than those that don't. If we could, let's again, kind of at Stocks 101, what is a dividend? A dividend is just a cash payout that um, typically comes from earnings. And um, it is decided on by the board of directors. They decide when to start paying dividends. And they do that if they don't have really good ideas to grow the company and they're accumulating cash. Well, we need to return some of that to the owners. And the board of directors decides from year to year if they will continue doing that and if they will increase those dividends. So um, it doesn't track earnings exactly, but it's typically a good measure of how they are earning. And dividends represent one part of your return. So if you're looking at a stock, you're going to earn money from what the the company pays you while you hold it, the dividends, and then what you earn when you sell that stock. That combination of those two will determine your rate of return. And again, to determine whether it, one is better than the other, and again, that's up to each individual investor, I guess? Other than um, dividends are more predictable than earnings. Your thoughts on whether you should get dividends or not? Um, I, mean, I was just kind of going to agree with that. There are different tax treatments for some types of Some dividends will come at your income tax rate, which might be an issue. Uh, whereas, whereas your capital gains, your long-term capital gains is always going to be a lower tax rate. Of course, if this is happening in an IRA or a Roth IRA, a tax-favored account, uh, you're, you're not going to pay taxes on, on those dividends as they show up. All right, and also throughout the hour, we've been talking about sort of things to look at, uh, the way a company operates uh, that you might uh, might clue you in as to whether you would want to invest in that stock, uh, that company, or not. Uh, what about management of the corporation? How does that factor in? Oh, that's that's real important. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> you can have a fantastic company, and if somebody doesn't know how to run it, they can just drive it into the ground. Yeah, you're as a shareholder, you're an owner of the company, but you know, there's so many shareholders, you can't yeah. pick up the phone and call the manager and say, you know, why did you decide to ax that one product? I think it's great. You have hired somebody. The board of director hires someone to run the company, and you know, you're not involved in the day-to-day operations, and so yeah. you need to monitor what they're doing. So kind of, you know, think of a, you know, I'm going to use an example of a Home Depot as, as, as a microcosm of the company. Say the Home Depot is just this one store, and, you know, if you wanted to be an owner of it, you've got to depend on so many things. Um, you've got to depend on, uh, one, Home Depot makes money they, when people are buying things for their houses, when people are growing their houses, expanding their houses, buying new houses. That's when Home Depot makes money. So, one, 
that economic trend has to be behind you. Two, you've got to be able to price your products in order to make a good enough product, a good enough profit. So if there's a ton of competitors in your area bringing down your prices and maybe you're not getting a good deal from your suppliers, that's going to cut into your profits and you're not going to have a very good company. Three, you've got to have a great store. People have to come into your store and buy those products and they come in for a variety of reasons. Maybe you just advertise really well. Maybe they just love coming into your... love coming into your store. They have great management. It's very well organized. So that management of the store, management of the company, that matters as well. Uh, because, you know, if, if you don't run your store well, people are just going to be turned off and they're going to go to another store. Um, there's so, so think of there's just a ton of factors going into it. And you can have, you know, you can have great management and great products, but then the economic trend gets in your way and just people stop needing to buy two by fours and people stop needing to buy new lamps uh, because uh, because the economic trends are not going your way or maybe the economic trends are going your way but you know nobody you, you know your lamps are just not as cool as the lamps at the hardware store down the street so nobody's coming in or maybe you have the best products but you know your managers just aren't hiring people who have you know who are really able to help their customers and people just get real frustrated when they go into your store and so your store just you know suffers from bad management there's so many different uh, things that go into it, and that's you know you can kind of look at an individual store as a microcosm. And the main thing to remember as an investor is things change, and they're changing rapidly. So don't forget the lesson of Sears that just used to be the great position to own, and now it's gone. What's All that? Right. We're going to wrap up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash talks. Or listen to the podcast. Search for Money Talks on your favorite podcast app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.